Welcome to another edition of Night Roundtable, a regular podcast from Gannon University's Dull Kemper School of Business, covering topics of interest to investors, accountants, entrepreneurs, marketers, insurance, sports, business, community, and government leaders. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of the Night Roundtable Business Talk from Gannon University. Today's episode focuses on enterprise risk management, insights about cybersecurity risk, and climate risk management. Leading our discussion today is Dr. Emma Way, Associate Professor of Risk Management and Insurance from Gannon University. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Way. Thank you. Uh, we also have some guests that Dr. Way has brought in with us today. Mr. Steve Haberski is a property and casualty actuarial manager. He has several years of experience working in enterprise risk management and risk assurance functions. We also have with us today, Ms. Allison Young. She is the Vice President of Product Management in the insurance industry, concentrating in commercial lines of business. Steve and Allison, thank you both so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, Mr. Steve Kaberski and Ms. Allison Young represent the local Presque Isle CPCU Society chapter. The major goals and objectives of the chapter include fostering the members' continuing education and professional development, encouraging members to maintain the highest standards of professional and ethical behavior, stimulating the interests of students in the property and casualty casualty insurance industry, and helping aspiring professionals to achieve the CPCU designation, and promoting networking opportunities and community involvement activities. So Dr. Wei, we have a few questions for you first. Um, for our first question is, how can enterprise risk management be beneficial to an institution? Um, in order to discuss benefits of enterprise risk management, or the ERM, Let's first talk about what is ERM. ERM is to develop a holistic portfolio view of the most significant risks across an institution through a common risk management framework to achieve the institution's strategic objectives. ERM emphasizes at least three aspects. First, the risks may not only have negative impacts, but also positive impacts on business operations. People may ask why some risks can be considered positive. According to the ISO 31000, risk is defined as the effect of uncertainty on objectives. For some risks, an institution could have a positive outcome in a certain situation. However, the positive outcome is not guaranteed due to the possibility of a negative outcome. For example, an institution is deploying certain new clean technologies. This is opportunity, but must be considered as risks. The potential negative effects and costs should be evaluated against the benefits. ERM is not just about managing the downside of risk, but also about pursuing opportunities, helping an institution have long-term success. Second, ERM manage all risks together across the whole institution. For example, cyber risks should not only be the responsibility of IT department, all the rest departments should be involved in cyber risk management. Third, ERM thinks about risks proactively. For example, due to climate change and governmental policies, automakers have to create new low carbon cars and trucks. ERM uses a more forward-looking, enterprise-wide approach. 
Therefore, the benefits of ERM to an institution at least include, first, ERM creates a risk-centric culture. A good ERM framework can increase the risk-related focus across all sectors of an institution. This culture empowers individuals to discuss potential weaknesses openly. Second, ERM helps improve decision quality. With a risk-oriented culture across the entire institution, when leaders make decisions, they can be well informed of risks faced by the decision. Third, ERM improves risk assessment. Institutions use ERM to create specific indicators of risks. This framework gives leadership plenty of warning before a problem occurs. Institutions also use metrics and mechanisms to measure the progress of risk strategies. Fourth, ERM reduces costs. Establishing a risk-aware culture across the institution helps everyone identify, assess, and act accordingly when risks are present. This way, costs do not have to be allocated to fixing problems, but to helping the institution meet strategy objectives and therefore reduce the total costs. As a summary, ERM focuses on how an institution can be more successful. The key benefit of ERM is to create and realize value in an institution. Thank you, Dr. Wei. So some people think that the next decade will be defined by climate change and cybersecurity risk. How can we integrate cyber risk management and climate risk into the enterprise risk management framework? Thank you. Since the ERM addresses the full spectrum of the institution's significant risks by understanding the combined impact of risks as an interrelated portfolio, ERM framework holistically manages the combined set of enterprise risks. Cyber risk and climate change risk are part of enterprise risks and therefore should be included in the ERM framework. As for cyber risk management, although cyber risks encompasses a high technical area, it is critical that cyber risks be clearly stated in business language and understood by people outside the IT discipline. Understanding cyber risks in the broader enterprise risk landscape is crucial in aligning risk response actions with the institution's overall risk profile. One recommendation for better integration of cyber risk management and ERM is to ensure an institution's chief information officer has a seat on the ERM leadership. It will help facilitate meaningful discussion about potential enterprise level impacts of cyber risks and a possible interrelation among cyber risks and other enterprise risks. As for the climate change risks, during the past few years, three of the top five risks identified by the World Economic Forum are climate related. For example, certain companies sell or require carbon intensive fuels that may become more expensive as regulators increasingly seek to impose a price on carbon. In 2018, two leading organizations, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, or the WBCSD, and COSO, the Committee of Sponsoring Organizations for the Treasury Commission, released a document called Applying Enterprise Risk Management to Environmental, Social, and Governments-Related Risks. This document 
provides guidance to help apply ERM concepts to ESG-related risks. Climate change risk comes with many opportunities, such as clean tech and renewable energy, including climate change risks and exploring the opportunities will help the organization develop good business strategies. Thank you. Thank you. And so from there, I'd like to transition into some questions um, for Allison. Allison, so cyber attacks have been rated among the top five risks in 2020. The risk continues to grow in 2022 as Internet of Things cyber attacks alone are expected to double by 2025. The pandemic amplified cybercrime due to the uncertainty around, um, around remote working. Can you please give some suggestions on how to protect a business from a cyber attack? Absolutely. Um, I think the biggest thing is proactive cybersecurity. I think that that's the greatest way that a business can protect themselves and prevent cyber attacks. There are many things that a business can do. Uh, there are cyber risk assessments that they can take online uh, that identify vulnerabilities in their IT systems that the business owners can then use to understand where the cyber risks exist within their operation. There are website scanning techniques that can be done um, in addition to inside out security scanning that can be done on a computer system within an organization. They can occur on a one-time basis or more preferably on a recurring basis to continuously monitor for uh, potential ways that people could get into the security systems of the organizations. Um, I think both of those are great ways uh, to help the business owners identify cyber exposures. And then it really comes down to there is a very technical component of it. Um, so we need some kind of an IT provider. Many organizations may have their own IT organization, um, own IT division, but a lot of smaller businesses and mid-sized businesses may not. And so they can work with third-party IT providers to help them set up property security practices and get um, proper cybersecurity in place. Examples of some of those things include two-factor authentication, firewalls on all their access points, antivirus, anti-malware protection, having regular backups at least once a week, probably even more than that if they're a really data-driven organization, and encryption on all the devices, including the devices for those employees that are working remotely as a result of things like the pandemic. And those are just a small number of ways that the IT provider can assist the business owner with putting protections in place. And as you can imagine, not all small business owners have the skill set that they need to be able to do those things. And so that's where the IT provider can kind of hold their hand and walk them through the process, make sure things are installed, set up correctly. And then lastly, those cybersecurity policies often are a part of things like the ERM framework. And they're really, really important to make sure that they're explaining things like you described in business terms and ways that people can understand. Employee training is critical to preventing cyber attacks. Oftentimes the employees are the targets of the cyber criminal. Phishing emails, social engineering techniques are the ways that the perpetrators can trick the employees into either giving access to the business systems or to steal valuable information, like say a social security number or other personally identifiable information. Um, but they could also do things like divert money from uh, the business to the perpetrator. So training the employees to identify, not react to those types of threats is really important and it's a great line of defense against cyber attacks. The cybersecurity policies then will specify the controls, the policies, the procedures that are in place at the business and help the enterprise as a whole understand and manage their cybersecurity better. 
Thank you so much. So what coverage is included in a standard cyber insurance policy? Are there any major gaps in coverage that business owners should be aware of when buying insurance? Sure, so there is definitely not a single standard one-size-fits-all cyber policy. Every insurance carrier provides a bit different protection in this space, and that's mostly because cyber risks are constantly evolving and changing, and we in the insurance industry need to be able to keep up with all of the changes that are happening in the cyber environment so that we can keep our policy language up to speed with the things that are actually happening in the world. Um, but I will say that there are definitely some common themes and some very um, comprehensive cyber policies that are going to provide coverage for business owners to protect them. So there are first party coverages and there are third party coverages. So first party coverages are going to cover the business's own damages from a cyber loss, loss of money, damage to their own computer systems. The third party coverages are going to provide defense costs and potentially settlement costs. Um, if our insured is, has a suit filed against them by a third party. So the third party coverages are um, protecting the insured against lawsuits that are filed against them as a result of something related to cyber. So some of the common first party coverages um, include data breach response expense. This is actually one that's been around in the industry for quite um, a longer period of time. Um, it's been uh, available by insurance carriers for as uh, one of the first cyber offerings that, that were available. And it provides resources to respond to a breach of people's personal information from a business owner. So, you know, somebody hacks into the computer, steals a person's information and potentially, you know, releases it or does something damaging with it. Uh, this is coverage pays to help our insured respond to that breach. It pays for a forensic IT review of their systems, a legal review, and most importantly, notification to the affected individuals. So the people that whose data was actually stolen and there are, every state has their own laws about what you have to do to notify individuals. And so the coverage would actually help the insured figure out what those requirements are and notify the people whose information was stolen. We could, they could also offer things like credit monitoring to the individuals whose data was stolen as um, for the trouble that they had to go through as a result of that information being breached. Um, and then, uh, you know, in more recent years, computer attacks have become more common. So a computer attack is damaging the insured's data or their systems. So um, a, a hacker could destroy a business's proprietary super important data. Uh, it could install a virus to shut down their computers. It could launch a denial of service attack that overwhelms the insured's computers, rendering them unable to operate their business because they can't use their computer systems. As you can imagine, all of these situations would be super detrimental to a business, shutting them down, robbing them of their income while they're trying to get back up and running. So after an attack, the insurance coverage that's provided would respond by helping them restore the data or recreate the data that was lost, restoring their computer systems to get them back up and running. Most policies would also replace the business income that was lost during the time that they were shut down, and even do things like helping them manage their reputation. Um, a more common thing that we've probably all heard about in the industry recently is ransomware attacks. Another word for that is cyber extortion. That's when uh, the cyber perpetrator, you know, says that they will not either give the a business owner back their uh, systems or they're going to release 
uh, you know, very private information about the business publicly, and they will do that if the business owner doesn't pay them a certain amount of money and a certain amount of time. And uh, this is becoming a really common thing in the industry. Uh, and oftentimes the insurance policies will cover not necessarily just to pay the ransom. We don't always want to pay the ransom. In fact, we try very hard not to pay the ransom if we can avoid it. But really it's about helping the business owner get back up and running. And having the good cybersecurity in place would help because we could, they could, if they have proper backups, simply restore the systems as opposed to paying the ransom to get back up and running. A lot of cyber policies will also cover fraud. So, um, you know, a, a cyber perpetrator may uh, trick an employee into transferring money to the wrong, uh, to their, their bank account from instead of um, where it was supposed to go. They could also just hack into the computer system and divert the money through the code within the computer system. And so either way, our insured is out money that um, they would have, you know, otherwise had. And so uh, this, these coverages, sometimes they're referred to as misdirected payment fraud or computer fraud. Every, again, every insurance company might call them something a little bit different, but the idea is that we would help um, to make the insured whole again by replacing that money that was diverted. And then identity recovery is another one. Um, we can help the owners and sometimes even the employees and if their identity is stolen uh, to help them monitor and manage to recover from such an incident. Okay, so those are the first party coverages. The third party coverages are where our insured might have a lawsuit filed against them. So if you're a person and your data was breached um, and you thought that that business was responsible, you could file a lawsuit against that business for damages that were caused to you by the release of your personal information. Um, similarly, uh, say a business accidentally forwards a malware or a malicious software um, email to a third party that they do business with and they, that third party opens it and then installs a virus on their computer. That's just one example of a way that a third party could be impacted by a business owner. And so there are coverages that would respond to a lawsuit against the insured for um, that third party damages as a result of something that our insured did. Um, and then as far as gaps in coverage, I think it's really important that business owners work with either their local insurance agent or broker to truly understand what their cyber insurance policy covers. Cyber is one of the most complex insurance the coverages that is offered in the industry today. And um, like I said earlier, they're really not all created equal. So um, having conversations with the agent or the carrier who's offering the coverage to them, making sure that they really understand what is included, what is not included um, is really important. As an example, um, understanding the coverage term, especially for a third party policy can be really important. Some policies may not pick up claims that occurred prior to the cyber policy being enforced. And so, you know, sometimes a virus might lay dormant in a system for a period of time before the insured becomes aware of it. And not every insurance policy would cover something that occurred before the policy was actually written. And that could be a potential, you know, gap or area of exposure that an insured would want to look out for. Other things are just exclusions. Every insurance policy has exclusions. Read the exclusions, make sure they understand them. Read the definitions. Every insurance company is gonna define a third party and the coverage term a little bit differently. So understanding those is important. 
Um, and then lastly, uh, just clear expectations for the insured in the event of a claim. A lot of policies will say that you must notify the insured as soon as practically possible with some caps of 30, 60 days. So making sure that they are aware, I need to contact my insurance company as soon as I have a, as I think there's some kind of cyber incident that occurred so that I make sure that the coverage is um, there and is available. So again, that was a lot, but it's because it is so complex and there are so many things that an insurance policy can do to help protect an insured. Um, but I think, you know, practicing good cybersecurity, doing that proactive part would help the insured to hopefully not need to use their insurance policy because they would already be protected. Allison, thank you so much for those insights on cyber risk and what we can do to protect ourselves. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Um, so our next set of questions are for Mr. Haberski. So Mr. Haberski, in what way does climate risk affect business, every business entity? Can you give us some examples? Absolutely. So when you think of climate risk, uh, the risks can typically be bucketed into three different categories, physical risks, transition risks, and legal risks. Now on the physical risk side, you think about the uh, buildings or property that you own. So changes in weather patterns, whether it's an increase in frequency, uh, severity, or volatility with weather could have an impact on property that uh, businesses own. And the weather could be, it could be an acute change in the weather or chronic where it's going to be a long-term change. It's just weather patterns have changed and they're here to stay. So companies, you know, thinking about their properties and, and what might happen, whether uh, it's a, uh, a storm that occurs or maybe there's rising sea levels and if they're close to a shoreline, that could threaten their property. So they think about the physical risks in that way. Now in the transition risk uh, space, there we're thinking about what could happen as the economy moves to a lower uh, carbon environment. So whether it's through regulations or other means that uh, if the government wants uh, businesses to move away from dependence on fossil fuels and transition into more clean energy, there are risks uh, to businesses there that they have to address. So it, it may be, for example, um, maybe a business has a fleet of vehicles that are gasoline powered today and they need to uh, change that uh, fleet over to electric vehicles. Well, there's an expense, of course, to businesses to do that and uh, they have to consider that in their risk management uh, when thinking about, okay, how are we going to make uh, that change as well. And as well with the transition risks, um, it, it impacts companies that maybe invest. So if they think about if they're investing in uh, equities and other companies, they might have uh, some holdings in their portfolio that are with companies that uh, are either producing fossil fuels or heavily dependent on fossil fuels. And so if, during the transition to a lower carbon environment, um, the companies that are either producing uh, fossil fuels or highly dependent on fossil fuels uh, and, and we move to cleaner energy, well, the value of those companies may decline, which is going to impact the portfolio of uh, the company that uh, you know, has uh, investments in them. On the legal risk side, 
that gets into where um, shareholders of a company may not think that the board of directors for the company that they're investing in is doing enough in the climate risk space. So uh, it, again, going back to a company that maybe is producing or heavily dependent on fossil fuels, if they're not, um, if the board of directors is seen as not doing enough to, to manage their climate risks, and therefore there's, uh, that the company is devalued or dropping in value, then that could impact shareholders. And they might uh, turn to the board of directors and say, hey, we don't think you've done enough. Therefore, we've been impacted financially, and therefore we're going to bring a suit against you uh, for your lack of uh, movement or decisions uh, in the climate space. Now, I do want to mention, though, that along with the risks because of climate, companies should look at the opportunities that are available as well. So what might be seen as uh, an added expense or a big expense to make a change into cleaner uh, energy, there's some opportunities there as well. So uh, there could be new products or services that a company could, uh, could offer. Um, in the long run, it could actually turn out to be expense reduction for them. So upfront, yeah, it might be cost a lot of money to make the change over to uh, electric vehicles or solar power, something like that. But if you look at it in the longer term, you know, it might uh, actually save the company money. Sure, sure. So, and you just touched on this a little bit now, Steve, but can you please give some suggestions on how an institution can manage their climate risk? Absolutely. So I think it, it really starts with integrating climate risk into their current risk management practices. So hopefully the company has a process in place that they go through to manage their risks. And typically it starts with identifying uh, all of the risks that could be uh, could potentially impact the organization. And not that a company needs to uh, assess every risk that they identify, but if they prioritize them and then focus on the ones that could really have big impacts on them, yeah, that would be a good place uh, to start. So getting that prioritization in place. Um, and then, you know, I just said, you know, assessment. So assessing would be the next part of a risk management process. So there they would want to take a look at, okay, if we've identified this risk, we think it might have a potentially big impact on us, how big could that be? Now, that uh, could be a difficult answer, uh, question to answer because you can't always quantify risks. It, it could be difficult to do so. So a qual uh, a, uh, an assessment that's qualitative in nature, it could be perfectly okay. That would be just be telling the company really what is their concern level with the risk. So if they're feeling highly concerned about it, then um, the next part of the process would be getting into responding to the risk. So what could they do that could either um, reduce their concern level with it, or if they were able to quantify how big of a financial impact the risk could have on them, uh, what could they put in place that is going to reduce the potential uh, financial risk there. So once they do those uh, three things and maybe put some mitigations in place, 
um, monitoring for any changes in the environment or with the risk would be important too, because there could be changes uh, that take place. So you know, when you're going through your identification and your assessment, you're making certain assumptions that you know, things are going to happen with the risk. Maybe those will hold true, maybe not. And if, if they're not, if the, what's actually happening is different than what you expect, then you can pivot and, and make some changes uh, with either your mitigations that you put in place, because maybe you don't need to do as much, or maybe you need to do more because the risk is bigger than, than what you thought. Um, and finally, um, in the risk management process, there would be reporting. So the company should think about who their stakeholders might be and do they need to know what they're doing or how climate risk might impact them. So uh, even going back to my earlier comment about shareholders and how they might be impacted from a way that a company is managing climate risk. Um, they might need to receive some information. The company might need to communicate with them about here's what we're doing. Yeah, these are some good things that we're trying to do to protect our company, protect you as our shareholders, things of that nature. And if it's uh, public information, it could actually attract more investors into the company as well. If they're seen as somebody that's doing a very good job in the climate space, then that might be a positive and people would think, oh, okay, that company that I want to invest in. So yeah, they, they really just need to think about um, what people might need to know, who might need to know it, and then communicate with them as appropriate. Sure, absolutely. So that, that wraps up our episode for today. So Emma, Steve, and Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to tell our listeners about enterprise risk management, cybersecurity risk, and climate risk management. To our audience, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Night Roundtable, a production of Gannon University, Dahlkemper School of Business, Gannon's Erie Technology Incubator, and the Erie Small Business Development Center, all located in the Gannon University Center for Business Ingenuity in downtown Erie. We hope that you will subscribe to our channel and listen to future podcasts by our outstanding faculty, staff, students, and guests. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Night Roundtable, a regular podcast from Gannon University's Dahl Kemper School of Business in association with Erie's Small Business Development Center and the Erie Technology Incubator. The Night Roundtable is for entertainment only. The views and opinions expressed are entirely those of the hosts, guests, interactive listeners, and callers who are entirely responsible for all show content. Opinions expressed are not to be considered legal, business, or investment advice and are not in any way intended to reflect the opinions or positions of Gannon University or its staff.